0: Today's reading is from 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verse 1, to chapter 4, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli... The guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all of Israel.
1: Well, good morning. It's a great joy to be able to open up the Scriptures as we continue this uh, journey through 1 Samuel. Uh, Let me begin by praying for us all. Dear Lord, as we continue our journey through 1 Samuel this morning, we echo the prayer of young Samuel. Speak. Speak for your servants are listening. Amen. I understand that uh, Mark Twain, a famous Jewish writer, said this of the Bible. Many people are bothered by the passages in Scripture they cannot understand. But as for me, I always notice that the passages in Scripture which trouble me most are the ones I do understand. Mark Twain, whether he knew it or not, had twigged to something quite deep about the purpose of the Bible. The Word of God was not simply to provide information about God, but rather transformation in the people of God. And that's what disturbed Twain. The Word of God, understood, ought to be internalized, not ignored. It provides the content of how to follow the Lord. The Bible, the living and active word of God, is a spectacular gift of God. It was the Lord's word of promise and hope that had carried Israel throughout its history, moving always in God's direction when they followed the word. For example, words of promise that were spoken to Abraham in Genesis 12 and repeated in the following generations I will bless you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Prophets and psalmists brought messages of rebuke, repentance, and hope. It's always the Lord's word which carries his people forward the Bible was actually written for us. Even in this generation, that was written for the previous generation. With reference to Moses' time, the Spirit speaks to Christians in 1 Corinthians 10. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things, as they did. So as we read the Bible carefully we'll find ourselves walking around in its pages and being spoken to. The Bible is extraordinary power. As King David, one of the great songwriters of Israel, said in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul, making wise the simple. Giving joy to the heart, light to the eyes, more precious than much gold, sweeter than honey. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Hans Erz van Bollster wrote a fairly difficult book to read on prayer, but he has some gems within it. Here is one on scripture. We are in danger of drowning in the open sea. And God's word is the rope ladder thrown down to us so we can climb up into the rescuing vessel. It is the carpet rolled out towards us so that we can walk along it to the Father's throne. It is the lantern which shines in the darkness of the world. It casts a softer light on the riddles which torment us. So I ask us, have we heeded the gospel word and have we climbed into Jesus' rescue vessel? Are we walking on the word's carpet in the direction of the Father's throne that Christ has opened for us? Do we diligently seek the light of scripture to help resolve the riddles of stillbirths, of cancer, of macular degeneration, of hearing loss, of dementia, of mobility loss, of mental illness and pandemics. Family and friends rejecting us because we follow Jesus and rejecting Jesus. Family and marriage collapse, loneliness. Maybe you've begun to ask, what does this extended reflections on the Word of God have to do with 1 Samuel? and with the transition of leadership from Eli's family to Hannah's son Samuel's leadership? Well, the answer is, it's got everything to do with it. Recall the biblical context. The book of Judges ended with these sobering words, in those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. In other words, it was a free-for-all, social, moral, and spiritual chaos. Little was shaped by the word of God. Enter 1 Samuel, which explains why life was like that in chapter 3, verse 1. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Our passage today reveals how the word of God provides both the whys of Eli's family's demise from leadership and the how of Samuel's rise to leadership. The basic biblical principle is expressed in 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. Those who honour me, I will honour. Those who despise me will be disdained. So let's this morning drill down into the story of 1 Samuel 2, 12 to 4.1 and see how this particular principle works itself out in the two contrasting families of Eli and Elkanah and Hannah. One word less and despicable, one word full and delightful. Firstly then, the word scarce and ignored corruption. I don't know if you've ever watched Bloke's World. I certainly wouldn't recommend it, having watched it for 10 minutes on one occasion. But I reckon Eli's boys, Hoffney and Phineas, would have been stars of the show. Except their names would probably be Hoppy and Finn. They were the essence of the book of Judges conclusion. In those days, Everyone did as they saw fit. They went to pleasure in a big way, fillets and fillies, barbecues and babes, and they would exercise their positional power to get what they wanted. They were abusers. They were a law unto themselves. Eli's boys had been introduced without fanfare in chapter 1, verse 3, And there we're simply told that they were in a position of authority in the land as priests of the Lord. But our passage quickly lifts the lid on what was going on inside their hearts, and it isn't pretty. Chapter 2, verse 12, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. We are then told in verses 13 to 16 of chapter 2 what that looked like. You see, they insisted on choosing prime fillet over boiled potluck when it came to their protein preferences. And who could blame them, right? From a human point of view, their actions made taste bud sense. Who wants boiled meat picked out of a pot? You could get anything when you can get the best cuts before it's boiled human sense but it completely ignored the worship laws of God hence we read in verse 17 this sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt but it doesn't stop there these corrupt brothers desire for pleasure pursued other avenues so we read in verse 22 That Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel. Notice doing to all Israel, not doing for all Israel. And how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Hoppy and Finn would have been married and this open display of sexual misconduct was probably an indication that temple prostitution had been introduced to the worship life of Israel. This was common among the fertility cults of their neighbours, and in their minds maybe justified sexual infidelity. They were simply worshipping God by these acts. But again, this was categorically forbidden in Scripture. Their public sins came to their father Eli's ears, and he reprimands and warns them. Why do you do these wicked deeds of yours? No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? Eli's son's response is no surprise to us. We've got a handle on their character now. But the reason given might cause us a little shock. His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Hophni and Phineas were responsible for their actions. And now the time of God's patience had ended. The Lord's sovereign judgment celebrated earlier in Hannah's song and prayer would now fall on them. Can I just do an aside? If any of you, and I hope it's all of you, have come to a place of faith in the Lord Jesus and come under the gospel but you find yourself playing in the world's shadows, stop. The Lord sees every work we do. He hears every word we speak. And he knows every thought we ponder. When we play in shadow land... We are engaging in a dangerous spiritual game that we cannot win. See what follows. The son's and Eli's condemnation is confirmed when a rare word of the Lord is delivered by a man of God. The essence of the word of judgment is this, don't take God for granted. God can rescind his promises where there is disobedience. Now, we may have some sympathy for Eli, this old ageing priest and judge who'd blessed Hannah and Elkanah and kindly nurtured young Samuel. He may seem to get a bit of a raw deal to be included with his reprobate sons, but there are powerful lessons to be learnt from his condemnation. First, the word of God must be followed before loyalty to our family. The word should fashion our responses to our own wayward children or parents or friends. We must be diligent and not compromise the gospel and scriptures by accepting any behaviour or belief that is contrary to the Bible. Eli had eaten the prime fillets, wrongly and abusively taken, showing his priorities and bringing the Lord's rebuke. Why do you honour your sons more than me? Note also the Lord's words delivered by Samuel to Eli in chapter 3. I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Also note something amazing in this narrative. Don't miss it. God can still build his kingdom of saints, even when at the very heart of worship there's corruption, even when there's corruption in the heart of our world and it's thinking. Elkanah doesn't get everything right. He has two wives, but he does travel to worship the Lord. Hannah throws herself upon the Lord in dependent trust. She then gives her firstborn to Eli in fulfillment of a promise and God blesses her with more children. A man of God from out of nowhere pops up and he delivers a prophetic word of judgment and hope showing God had not lost his voice and was still in control. And finally, he raises up a new voice, a prophet and priest who will also become judge and follow the Lord and lead his people well, Samuel. Well, we've seen then how the word is scarce and when it is scarce and ignored, chaos ensues. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. But there are eyes ever watching from the throne room of glory. And at some point, lips will move, and the voice of judgment will be heard. So let you and I be a people who follow the Lord's message and let his word shape our choice of our words and our works. This call to attend to God applies to everyone here this morning regardless of our age, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, marital status, economic standing, our employment situation, our health, mental, physical or emotional. But let's see something of what this call looks like in the experience of young Samuel. The words spoken and internalised calling. Recall the context, the word of the Lord was rare, the ageing Eli, the judge and priest, was increasingly incompetent and frail and fragile. His two corrupt sons, Hophni and Phineas, were spiritually speaking a waste of space. There was a leadership vacuum. The question of who would stand between the Lord and his people. Offering word and worship was significant question. But as always, it's the Lord in his word which provide the answer. Samuel is born in answer to Hannah's prayer. Based on Jewish practices, he was probably between two and four years of age when he was handed over to Eli to be taken care of in the sanctuary of Shiloh. By the time of his calling, he was still described as a boy, chapter 3, verse 1, and was maybe between 12 to 18 years of age. In the storylines of chapters two through four, the Spirit is cleverly interwoven, highlight points about Samuel's growth and maturity amidst the corruption and and failure of the two younger uh, the two younger priests and Eli. Samuel's progress we see in chapter two. He begins with ministering before the Lord in verse eleven. Then he's seen wearing an ephod, a priestly garment himself, in verse 18. In 21, Samuel is described literally as growing up with the Lord, not simply in the presence of the Lord, literally it's with the Lord. And then in 2.26, it provides a wonderful description. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with people. Words echoed later, in the temple in Jerusalem, when Jesus found himself there. Then immediately after the devastating prophetic word of judgment on Eli's household and the promise that the Lord would raise up a faithful priest, Samuel continues to minister before the Lord under Eli, who interestingly is no longer described as the priest There's a transition going on in the text from Eli to Samuel. Now it's in this particular context of young Samuel's spiritual progression that a most significant advance is made as he receives his call to be the Lord's spokesman, a prophet of God. Now I'm somewhat hard of hearing and I normally wear hearing aids but not when I'm wearing these things. And if I'm really watching a TV show or reading a good book, or involved in watching a sports event, I don't always hear when people call me. You probably are aware of that experience. My younger daughter, Kelly, has worked out a way of getting my attention. She tries three or four times to call me "Dad," and I simply don't hear it. And I'm not ignoring her on purpose. I just I'm concentrating. But she gets my attention when she says, Stephen. And I look at her and say, that's rude. My name is Dad. And she tells me, I've been talking to you for 10 minutes and you haven't heard a word I've said. In the story of Samuel's calling, there was also an issue of not hearing properly. You see, it takes Eli three times to finally twig. The Lord is speaking directly to Samuel. And the way the narrative works, this reinforces the spiritual decline of Eli. Samuel's patient response on the three occasions of having broken sleep is far better than mine would be. And reflects his character and willingness to attend to his ageing mentor. Samuel 3.7 explains, had not yet had the voice of the Lord revealed to him, but that was about to change. Finally, Samuel hears the Lord's call and follows Eli's instruction, saying in response to the Lord, speak, for your servant is listening. There can be no better words for those who follow our Lord Jesus to use. When we come to read the Scriptures, uh, when we listen to a message in church, When we gather in a small group to study the word in a life group, let's pray these words of Samuel, speak for your servant is listening and understand the listening is not simply hearing the words, it involves internalising the message as we shall see as the narrative unfolds. The Lord's first message to Samuel is actually a restatement of the devastating judgment already pronounced on Eli's household by the man of God in chapter 2. Samuel's avoiding Eli in the morning suggests he's a lot to learn about being the prophet of God, and he's about to get a lesson. Samuel's personal fear meant he kept his mouth shut. Eli presses the point And Samuel spills the awful beans to which Eli surrenders, saying, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. What can we 21st century believers take away from Samuel's unique and specific call to be both priest and prophet, the voice of God for the ancient people of God? A key is found in the fact that Samuel has a unique role as the go-between within the context of Israel's life. God speaks to Samuel, Samuel speaks to the people. The people have problems, Samuel prays for them. That's his role theologically within Israel. But interestingly, already in the Old Testament, the people of God have been described as a kingdom of priests. They too have a role, but theirs is to the world, They are the world's go-betweens. And once we've made that theological connection, we can see what it looks like. We're helped by Peter, who echoes Exodus 19 in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not known mercy, but now you have received mercy. With this theological connection, we can see what it might look like for us. Let me comment on three things. Like Samuel's, our priestly prophetic role begins by listening. It helps if, like Samuel, we spend our time in God's presence. We are with the Lord. Now, what's interesting about New Testament teaching is that you and I have been given the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. If you've come to faith, God fills you with his presence. We don't have to go anywhere to be in his presence, in a sense, but we have him with us. But do we then let the Spirit speak to us through his word? This is his text Do we give ourselves to it and do we humbly pray, speak each time we open it, for your servant is listening? The second lesson we need to learn is that God reveals himself in order for his message to be passed on, regardless of its content. The truth needs to be delivered without autocorrect. We have to announce to people outside of faith in Jesus the good news that forgiveness and new life are available through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And if people fail to respond to that warning, that good news, then we need to warn them of the consequences. The judgment will come, that they should turn and repent. You see, we're to be like a bit of a drain pipe. A drain pipe's job is to take the water from the roof and deliver it to the tank without adding anything and we are to take the word of the Lord embodied in our lives and not add any rubbish so that people see the word in us and hear the word in us and adulterators the third lesson we can note is that we don't just hear the word and announce the word the word has to be internalized if you like it has to be embodied that it shapes every deed and word of our lives Eli may have been increasingly incompetent but maybe this was his finest moment as he surrenders to the Lord's condemnation in chapter 3 verse 18. He is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. In so speaking he provides a wonderful lesson for Samuel and us. We are to yield to the word. Like we would do if we're on a one-way bridge, we see what's coming up and it says yield on your side and you see a semi-trailer coming across the bridge already. You yield because not to yield is to be devastated. It is to be disaster. Yielding, accepting the Lord's word isn't simply a passive surrender, it's rather an active embracing and living of God's truth, internalised and embodied. This was most clearly demonstrated, was it not, when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. That's a reference not just to Jesus' speech, but to his life. Jesus, who in the garden prior to his death said to his Father, not my will, but your will be done. Well, our passage today has dramatically and cleverly revealed what life looks like when the word is ignored or internalised, forgotten or followed. On the one hand, the household of Eli was marked by corruption, resulting in devastating judgement. On the other hand, there was the call of the Lord to Samuel, a word spoken and internalised. The text, you see, moves from silence to speech, from wordless to wordful. So we read in verse 1 of chapter 3, in those days the word of the Lord was rare, there were not many visions. But when the call of Samuel produces a one-word full season, as we see in chapter 3, 19 to one, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. That is, they came true. they were the Lord's words and all Israel from Dan to Beersheba from top to bottom recognized that Samuel was attested as the prophet of the Lord the Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word and Samuel's word the Lord's words through Samuel came to all Israel rarity of word few visions there being an abundance because of God's gift of Samuel yet the question remains as we continue in coming weeks through 1 Samuel will the people of Israel follow the word of the Lord coming weeks will reveal all but for now we have our own challenge we have no shortage of the word we have stacks of bibles on our shelves Bible apps on our smartphones and tablets, but do we attend to them? Do we treasure them? Do we let the Word of God shape our thinking and help us negotiate the tough times when we lose a loved one like Rhonda, when we're diagnosed with a serious illness? Do we read, mark, and inwardly digest the Scriptures? let me remind you again of Balthazar's words from his book Prayer, which I think is so powerful and helpful. We are in danger of drowning in the open sea, and God's word is a rope ladder thrown down to us so we can climb up into it, into a safe rescuing vessel. It is the carpet rolled out towards us so that we can walk along it to the Father's throne. It is the lantern which shines in the darkness of the world, casting a softer light on the riddles which torment us. Have we heeded the gospel word and have we climbed into Jesus' rescue vessel? Are we walking on the word's carpet in the direction of the Father's throne? Do we diligently see the light of scripture to help resolve the riddles which torment us? and of which there are many. Will we join with the psalmists of Psalm 119, a psalm that celebrates 150 verses of God's Word? Will we declare that we have hidden your word in our hearts so that we might not sin against you? Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light on our path. If we do then the word will shape every work and word in our lives. And as we embody that word and speak that word, we will show the world the generosity and grace of the Lord Jesus from one end of Illawarra to the other. And maybe under the grace of God, we will see God raise up others to come and join us. I want to close by having a prayer on the screen it's a modified collect it's not there okay I will have to pray it for you then you might recognize this special prayer father without you we cannot follow you so mercifully grant that your Holy Spirit will in every way direct And rule our hearts so that we internalise and embody your truth in every deed and word. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.